and been raised in the church my entire life. Made a profession of faith as a seven-year-old because I knew all the right things to say and got baptized. But as a teenager, I knew that there was a great duplicity about my life, that I was full of hypocrisy, that I would act a certain way on Sunday and Wednesday and say all the right things because I knew all the right things to say and I'm a bit of a people pleaser and wanted to do what everybody expected of me. But through the week, I lived a terrible life. My mind wasn't where it needed to be, my actions, my mouth, my attitude, all those things. And God had been convicting me about those things through the years in church because I sat and I heard messages like you. I went to youth camps and went to retreats and all those sort of things. And there I was on a Saturday night at 17, and I couldn't sleep. And it wasn't because I had too much Dr. Pepper, or it wasn't because I'd watched Saturday Night Live and all the skits were in my head and I was still giggling on the inside. I was in turmoil. And I got out of my bed, and I fell face down on the floor in my bedroom in my parents' home, and I cried and prayed and wrestled with God. I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't live this way. I'm such a phony. I'm such a joke. If people only knew the real me, they would not like me at all. I made a decision that night that the next time I had a chance, I'd trust Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord. Sailor knew how to do it, but kind of like Jonah knew that he was the cause but couldn't throw himself into the ocean and had to have the sailors chuck him in. I needed somebody else to help me. So that morning, the next morning was Sunday morning. I went to church because that's what you do. And I sat sort of where I sit right now. Sanctuary just about this size with five sections in it. And I was just kind of right by where Miss Kathy Beverly would be right over there, an aisle or two back from where I'm at. And I was holding on to the back of that pew so tight my knuckles were turning white. My pastor preached out of Romans chapter 10. He got to Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and he said, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And part of me wanted to stand up right then and race down the aisle and say, Brother Bill, I need to do that right now. The other part of me was afraid to death. What's my church family going to think about me? I'm the guy they thought knew it all and had it all together. A little preacher boy who's not even saved yet. When it came time for the invitation, I walked down the aisle. I buried my head in my pastor's shoulder, and I said, Oh, Bill, I'm so sorry. I'm not saved. I need to ask Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord. And I began to confess my sins to my pastor. And he looked me in the eye, and he said, God loves you, Aaron, and I love you. He said, Let me get a friend. And a deacon took me aside and talked to me, and we prayed. And that morning, when I was 17 years old, after all those years of faking it, I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. There was a change that God intended for me that has lasted forever and will last forever because your soul, my soul, we're 
created in the image of God. We are eternal beings. This life is not the only life there is. There is life to come. You know it. I don't have to argue it with you. So when I was reading the words of our Christmas musical that was amazing last Sunday night, by the way. I don't know about you. I was so thankful for Myra and her leadership and every person that was up here on this stage and participated from the boys and the girls to the grandmas and grandpas and everybody in between that led us by playing and singing. It was incredible. There's a line in the one song that says, all forever change. And that's the title of your sermon this morning. And it's, uh, the song is, How Suddenly a Baby Cries. And even though, you know, the one song says, of little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. I mean, come on, he's a baby. He cried, right? I mean, he's perfect and sinless, but how else is he going to say, I'm hungry, mom? How else is he going to say, I'm dirty, mom? Uh, you need to change my britches. Uh, babies cry, right? That's what they do. And Obviously, when you're born and the first take breath in, coming right out of their mother's womb, you know, they, they cry. That's what babies do. But the point of that song is that when Jesus was born, everything changed for everybody. Have there been points and times in your life when all forever have changed? For me, it seems like they always needed to be with me falling on my face in front of God. When I was 17 and trusted Jesus as my Savior, when I was 22 and said, okay, Lord, if you want me forever to uh, serve you and go be a missionary in Africa, I'll do that. That was on my face in front of God. When I was 25 and said, God, if you want me to be single forever, even though I really want to be a married man and have some kids, I'm going to trust you to find the right girl for me. I'm not looking anymore. I'm going to serve you, Jesus, and follow you. That was on my face. In 2009, when in a struggle with this church that I was in turmoil over, it took me literally on my face in a field in southwest Missouri to say, God, you are going to take care of this church. You are going to take care of me. And in my life, there have been these times when on my face before God, there was a turn, a change where I came to the end of myself and said, God, I can't. I've tried, and I can't. I surrender to you. You're going to have to take care of me. All forever change. If you haven't already, open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 provides us another song, Simeon's song. Last week, our text was from Mary's song, where Mary sang a song of praise of who Jesus was and what God had done and would be doing through him. And what we see again today in the life of Simeon is similar. That moved by the Holy Spirit, impressed by Christ in the flesh, though yet a newborn baby, he sings out this song. If you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you do that in Luke Chapter 2, verses 21 and following. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. 
When the time of the purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout who was righteous and devout. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, this is verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and a glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this is this child is destined to cause the failing and rising or falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word, some of us are familiar with these words of Simeon. Consider who he says Jesus would be. Certainly we consider who is Jesus to us. And the life change that Jesus can bring if we will let him. So God, in the midst of everything we deal with today, we come before you and ask that you would speak to us by your spirit. And that we would obey whatever you say. Father, we pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus and we know we've trusted Christ as our savior. That maybe there's something we need to commit to today, a step of faith that we would surrender this morning. We pray for those who have never trusted Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that realizing that they too are sinners, they would confess their sin and ask Jesus to save them from their sin, that they might be one of his followers today too. God, as everything might change forever in one moment, in one decision, would you do that by your grace and for your glory in this place this morning? Amen. Thank you. You could be seated. This song, Simeon's song, is named in Latin, Nunc Dimittis. And it's for the word now that's in the middle of verse 29. Where Simeon says, I'm an old guy, but since... I've now seen Jesus, I can go. 
Now you can take me home. And these lines that make us think. Let's look at our scripture memory verse of the month before we move along with Simeon's song. Because it reminds us of why we give to international missions through Lottie Moon. And why we share our faith with others. Let's say it together. Revelation 7, 9a. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Revelation 7, 9a. God has called people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people to himself that they, too, might be changed. And we see that in Simeon's song as he takes the baby in his arms in verse 28 and he praises God. And in verse 29, says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. There's different translations of the Bible, and this is one time where most commentators, and I would agree, would say that the NIV Got this one wrong, not wrong theologically, but wrong in the word order. NIV is a thought-for-thought translation, and so whoever wrote it decided that this is the way that this sentence sounded best in Greek, but it diminishes the word now, which is the key operative word here in verse 29. In the Greek, it actually says, now, sovereign Lord, dismiss your servant in peace. And the emphasis of that word in Greek is emphatic. It is in the emphatic position. It is emphatic in its tense. That God, I'm done now. I'm checking out. Everything I thought would happen in life, everything you promised to me has come true, and I see it in this child. Verse 30. Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What has Jesus, or excuse me, what has changed forever with the coming of Jesus? Simeon outlines those things for us in these verses. And the first one we see here in verse 30, and that's that God's gift of salvation arrived. With the coming of Jesus, even as a baby, here at eight days old, brought back to the temple to be dedicated, to have sacrifices in keeping with their Jewish religious tradition made on his behalf, with his parents committing him to raise him in the Jewish faith that they knew, salvation has come. God's gift of salvation for all people. The Bible tells us God so loves the world. You can fill your name in that blank. God so loves you that whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever has been done to you, God loves you. And God so loves you that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who was born of of a woman as a baby to live a life like us, fully God and fully man, yet fully able to be tempted, fully able to sin, and yet remained without sin in order that he might be a 
perfect, spotless sacrifice for the sins of all humanity, yours included, mine included. So Simeon says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding Jesus in his hand. He's looking in his face, but he realizes this is more than just a baby. With all the potential that a baby has for what they may be, this is not just any baby. This is God in flesh. God's gift of salvation arrived, which asks a question for each of us, and that is, when did I trust Jesus as my Savior? Think back on your story. If you're a believer in Jesus, when was it that you trusted Christ as your Savior? Think for a minute about what was your life before, what was your life like before you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you're a child, you might not have a whole lot to say, but as a teenager or an adult, you may have a whole lot to say. Here's what my life was like before Christ. It was marked by all these things that were hard or sinful or difficult for me and others to deal with. And then think about how was it that you knew you needed to trust Christ as your Savior? Was there a series of events? Was it one person or was it like everywhere you turned, you were seeing and hearing things? It was pointing you to Jesus and you could not avoid this divine confrontation in your life anymore. And then how was it that you actually trusted Christ? Did you say a prayer? Do you remember what it sounded like? Uh, the things you said, where you're at, who you were with? The way you felt at that moment? And then what has your life been like since that point in time? Before, leading up to, the moment of change, and then after. So with those four questions in mind, I want you to talk to your neighbor. Talk to, if you're sitting beside your children, maybe you need to tell your children, here's how I knew I needed to trust Christ as my Savior. Here's what was my life like before. Here's how I knew Here's how I did it, and here's what my life has like to been since. Maybe you're sitting with your grandchildren. Tell your grandchildren your story. Maybe you're sitting next to somebody you don't even know. Well, it's a good chance to get to know them. Tell them your story. So literally, I'm giving you a couple minutes right here to talk and tell other people your faith story. If you've not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, that's okay. You just need to tell somebody, I'm not sure. And then maybe that person can pray with you and for you. Or maybe so, this very moment you can say, I need to do it now. Can you help me? Take a few minutes and talk among yourselves. Go. Let me give you just another minute or so to wrap up where you're at. A lot of good conversations. I almost feel guilty about taking back over. I really was going to give you a minute or so, so I'm sitting down and you all stop talking. <laughs> Really, uh, how about another 30 seconds if you need to finish your conversation? It's okay. The preacher can't preach without his notes, you know, so I got to get back up here. You got to give me a minute. So hopefully you learned something. Hopefully you were inspired. Maybe you were the one doing the inspiration and you were humbled by getting to tell your story of when you got to trust Christ as your Savior. Thank you for participating. And hopefully this will be something you go, I'm glad I got to come to church today because I got to hear this person's story or I got to tell my story. And just like that, you can do it. If you can speak a sentence or two about those four questions, what my life was like before Christ, how I knew I needed to trust Christ, 
how I actually trust Christ and what my life has been like since I trusted Christ. That's your testimony. And you just adapt that based on the conversation you're in and based on the needs of the person you're talking to. Maybe you spend more time talking about the before because they're in the before. Maybe you spend more time talking about the how I knew because they're in that moment. And you tell your story and you have conversations about how your life has changed because of God's gift of salvation. What did Simeon say there in verse 30? He said, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation for all people. Look what it says there in verse 31. For which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Pretty much all of us here are Gentiles. I don't know. Maybe you have some Jewish ancestry, and I I don't know that. But most of us are probably Gentiles. Jesus was a Jew, and God promised through the Jewish people to bless all nations. We'll come back to that in a few moments here in another point. But we are those he came for to turn on the light. You're in Luke. Turn over in your Bibles to John. John, in particular, uses this image of Jesus as the light and talks about light and darkness. And in John chapter 1, in this prelude to the Gospel of John, since it was written later and with different purposes uh, to combat early Christian heresies, John puts an introduction of who Jesus was. And he says in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says of Jesus, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Your Bible might say the darkness could not comprehend it or overcome it. Think about what happens in a dark room when you turn on the light. Darkness flees where the light shines. Darkness cannot overcome light. Think about your life. When you as the light walk into a situation, though darkness might fight against you, darkness cannot overcome light. You are the light. Look at verse 9 of John 1. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The true light, Jesus. He gives light to every man. He was coming. Now, Turn in the Gospel of John to verse chapter 8, verse 12. In chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says of himself, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, and you're sitting here this morning, and some of the stuff I'm saying is connecting with you, and others is going right over your head. Have you considered the fact that without the Holy Spirit yet in your life, these things are veiled to you and you need to trust Jesus as your personal Savior that he might shine that light within you to help you discern and understand all that God intends for you. That God's salvation is for all peoples and all peoples includes you. Your question there is who do I know who needs salvation? Who do I know who needs salvation is your question. You may be saved, but who do you know that needs salvation? That's your next question on the outline. That they need saved, not because they got out of debt, not because 
somebody in a relationship saved them from themselves, not because they got a new job, not because they turned around their dire health situation, but they need spiritual, eternal salvation in Jesus. That kind of salvation. Just a few months ago, we had a campaign in our church called Who's Your One, where we asked you to consider one person in your life to share the gospel with them during that time of that period. And how'd that go for you? How did you do? Did you talk to your one? Did they make it at least one step closer to Jesus? Did anybody have an opportunity where somebody trusted Christ as their Savior? I didn't hear any reports of that, I'm sad to say, but maybe you did. If you did, email me, call me, talk to me. Let us know so we can celebrate. Even if that person who is your one didn't come to our church, did they come to faith in Jesus? That's what counts. The fact is, all of us live among people who need Jesus as their Savior. They may be good people, and we may be able to point back in their life to, yes, they went to church, yes, they went to these classes, yes, they were baptized, but did they live a life that demonstrated the presence of the Holy Spirit? Did they live a life that demonstrated the fact that they are saved? Were there fruit of the Spirit, evidence of the Spirit in their life, which is a guarantee, a deposit of what is to come? There's probably all sorts of folks we need to have that conversation with and say, hey, tell me when you trusted Christ as your Savior. And then talk to them to confirm, are they saved for sure? Or they just think so because they're a good person and because God wouldn't send anybody to hell. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have to trust Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord in order to go to heaven, in order to have abundant life. So God's salvation arrived in verse 30. Verse 31 and 32a talk to about, about God's salvation being for all peoples. Verse 32b, that's God's promise of blessing is realized. The latter part of verse 32, and it says, for the glory of your people Israel, for the glory of your people, Israel. Your Bible might have a footnote that would take you back to a couple different places in the Old Testament, but I want to make it easy for you. Go all the way to the book of Genesis. So turn to the very beginning of your Bible. You got a paper Bible. If you got an electronic Bible, it's even easier to get there. But in Genesis chapter 12, God's promise, God's covenant to Abram, not yet called Abraham, that we know the song of Father Abraham. Look at what he says in Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And what does he say he's going to do? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the first promise that God makes to Abram. And he renews that covenant multiple times throughout the book of Genesis. And then, particularly in the prophets, like in Isaiah, you see Isaiah pointing back to the covenant promises in of Abraham, but looking ahead to what is coming in Jesus, that God's promise to be a blessing to all people was realized in Jesus. Your question there says, what does this teach me about God? If God can make a promise going back 4,000 years to Abraham, and he keeps it in Jesus going back 2,000 years, what else do we believe God 
can do and will do that is written in the Bible. If God keeps promises that big, what other promises does he keep? All of them. If his word says it, it's true. If God by his spirit reveals something to you as you're reading scripture about what he will do and who he is and who he's called you to be, it will happen. The fact that God makes such promises, the fact that God offers such blessings demonstrates who God is, his character, that he's trustworthy, that he's dependable, that you can believe in him, and that if you are not yet a believer in Jesus, you can have faith in him. He will keep his word. If you are a believer in Jesus, but you're struggling with something he's called you to that seems too difficult for you, yeah, it seems too difficult for you on purpose. He will keep his word. God, who promised, is faithful. Let's go on in verse 34 in your text. Verse 33 says, The child's father and mother marveled it was said about him. But beyond his song, Simeon has some words to say to them personally. And that also speaks to us as to our point about all forever change today. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Now, this is poetic language, and it's a little bit confusing, right? But I think you can understand it. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and be a sign that's spoken against. That last one's easier. In other words, Jesus is going to be so divisive He's a sign from God. People are going to recognize he's not of this world. The things he says and what he does, people are going to say, whoa, this guy, Jesus, is different, that he's going to cause division. And some people aren't going to like him. He's going to be a sign to be spoken against. That Jesus, who does he think he is? He'll cause the falling and rising of many. In other words, some will be humbled, And others will be lifted up. What does scripture say? It says the proud, as Mary said last week, will be humbled. And the humble will be lifted up. This economy of the kingdom is different than the economy of our world. So what's your point there? For verse 34, God's direction causes decisions. That the direction God intends with Jesus that Jesus would come into the world as Savior of anyone who would ever trust Him personally, confessing their sins, asking Him to forgive them of their sins, He would cause a decision that we have to accept Him or reject Him, that we will be humbled by Him or lifted up by Him, that your personal relationship with Jesus will cause decisions in your life That because you're a follower of Jesus, there's certain jobs you may not take. There's certain things you may not do. There's certain people you may not hang around, at least not too much. Because your decision to follow Jesus sets a path and a direction in your life. Your question on your fourth point there asks, how have I experienced such division? Have you experienced, because you're a follower of Jesus, there's been division in your life? Where because you say, no, I can't do this anymore, people stop being your friends. 
Maybe you came to faith as an adult and you used to go hang out. And I'll just pick on this one because it's easy. You used to hang out with folks and get drunk. And you finally say to your friends, hey, I still want to be your friends, but I can't go to the bar with you anymore. I can't go to those sort of parties anymore because I realize when I get drunk, that's not good for me. And that doesn't help me follow Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, I need to make some choices. And even though I choose to love you as my friend and choose to have a relationship with you too, I can't have it in that way anymore because that's destructive and hurtful to me. And so I'm making a decision and that decision might cause division. Some of you live in families that because you're a believer in Jesus, other people in your family make fun of you or they don't like you. Or they act like you're self-righteous when they're really the one being self-righteous and judgmental to you, even though you're coming towards them in grace. A decision to follow Jesus will cause division. It's right there in Scripture. Cause the rising and falling of many and a sign that will be spoken against. Let's move to our last verse, verse 35. It starts in the NIV, and you know I love the so that, so that. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That last line, especially if you're a mother, has got to hurt. Who was Simeon addressing these lines to? Although Mary and Joseph are both there, as indicated previous in the scripture. He's speaking directly to Mary. It says so in verse 34. And that last line is directly for Mary. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. We've seen it portrayed on this very stage with various ladies in our church portraying Mary and their grief at various men portraying Jesus, their son, being crucified. A sword to pierce your own soul too. But look up in verse 35. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Your fifth point there is that God's plan exposes our truth. We do a pretty good job wearing our Sunday face. You know, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? But every now and then, somebody sees through our Sunday face, and they might ask us a question, and that's when we get a little uncomfortable and look for a way to duck out of the conversation. Or that's when we double down on our falsehood and our lies. No, really, I'm fine. It's okay. Yeah, everything's fine in my life. Yeah, thanks for asking. That's very nice of you, but no, I, I'm good. Thanks. And we're lying through our teeth. Shouldn't church be a place where we're genuine? Shouldn't church be a place where we don't lie? And even if you're not in church, if you're dealing with another believer in Jesus, when they're taking the risk to ask, no, really, how are you? God's plan for salvation exposes the truth of sin in people's lives. And God's plan for salvation, when he gives the Holy Spirit to believers, then allows them to see through the lies and half-truths of other people's lives so they can say, no, really, how are you? God, by his power, reveals the things that we'd rather hide. Scripture says so. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Remember, way back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, what God said to Samuel in judging 
David, the new would-be king of Israel who God had called and was going to anoint. David was the youngest brother. David was the smallest brother. Samuel went in looking for the oldest brother or the tallest brother. But God says there in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. God does not see as a man sees. And no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been sitting in these pews, and I know you've been sitting in your same spot, right? Most of you have your spot. God knows your heart. And God knows where you're putting on the I'm fine, how are you face. And God knows where you're honest with others. And he especially knows where you're honest with him. And God loves you. And because he loves you, he exposes our truth and he exposes our failings. He exposes our fear. He exposes our anxiety. He exposes our depression. He exposes all the things we struggle with. And he says, come to me and let me love you. Let me help you. And sometimes we just need to have that moment where we fall on our face in front of God. And we say, I surrender. Or we stand up in front of God and say, I surrender. And God, I've lived my life this way so long, and this is where it's got me. I can't do this anymore. I surrender. Because I believe, God, according to your word, that you will change lives forever. And I need you to change my life. Because that leads us to our question. What lives in my heart, if I'm honest? God knows your heart. God knows what lives there. And God loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. Whatever it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And that once again, through your word, we see that love portrayed. And in the song of Simeon, we hear that you've given Jesus to save all people, even us. So God, our Father, we pray that someone today might trust Christ Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord right now. And we pray for those of us that already have. That if there's something we need to surrender to lead to a forever change. A habit, a hang up, a hurt. Whatever it is, God, would we be obedient to you? In Jesus' name we pray.